Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I've just made you a co-host so that you are able to flight your share your screen when you are ready. But chair is gonna um gonna call you when 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 he's, she's. Thank just you very much. For you to be ready, but chair will will will. will uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Mr. Sakaza. I'm I'm here. Thank you, Mr. Inana. Can you please mute? Okay. Thank you, sir. Mr. Inana, can you please mute? Uh, I'm here, Mr. Sakaza. Okay, chair. We've got is now a women's legal center. Chrissy Blouse is gonna be presenting. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome, Chrissy. Over to you. First, first, let us let let. Can you please mute, unmute? Okay. Can we first uh, apologize for for this uh, for all this confusion? We thought uh, by two o'clock we will be ready for you, but in apologizing, let me again uh, appreciate that you have then. Uh, uh, managed to come through with all this with this confusion that we have created to you. But uh, over to you. We'll be listening to your presentation. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you so much, Madam Chair. Good afternoon to everybody. Um, we can't hear you. You are too soft. Uh, can, can you hear me now? Yes. And we can, can better? Your, and we can see your face. Just turn up the volume. Uh, good afternoon to everybody. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to make these oral submissions before the Portfolio Committee today. Um, yes, uh, we <laughs> had to just jump out of a, another meeting, myself and my colleague, to join today. Um, but we'll, we'll try to make it work to the best of our ability. Um, as I said, the WLC Women's Legal Center is really grateful for the opportunity to make these oral submissions before the Portfolio Committee today. Um, we are cognizant of the fact that we've made a detailed written submission before the committee, but we thought we wanted to use this opportunity today to highlight our focus and input in relation to the COIDA Amendment Bill. Um, as an overview and by way of introduction, um, I am Chrissy Blouse, Chrisentia Blouse, an attorney at the Women's Legal Center, where my work focuses um, specifically on the right to favorable and just working conditions for women. The Women's Legal Center is an African feminist strategic law center. While we are specifically based in Cape Town, we work in a national context and we have a national footprint. Um, our key focus and objectives are specifically to, walk, to work towards substantive equality for women in South Africa. Um, and you may have noticed um, from the submission that we have made before you, the written submission, that we use the word woman with an X. So we do not spell woman W-O-M-E-N uh, or W-O-M-A-N. We use the word woman with an X as an illustration of our organization being inclusive in how it assists all persons who identify themselves as women. 
It further highlights the rejection of patriarchal values attached to the gender binary of he and she, which we acknowledge that the amendment bill seeks to do in the manner that it has removed the specific male references in the act to be more inclusive. And we support this firstly as a thread throughout the amended act. Um, the Women Legal Center specifically assists and work with, within this specific focus area because we do have five um, focus areas in which the organization works, namely violence against women, um, women's access to land, housing, to new security, um, women's right to favorable just working conditions, women's right to uh, sexual health and reproductive health rights, um, Equality within relationships for women is the fifth program. And it's important to mention all of our specific thematic and focus areas as we as the Women's Legal Center believe in working in a feminist and intersectional manner. And intersectionality to us means that we look at women not on the one role that we perceive or see her to be, but that we identify that women experiences discrimination in multiple forms based on their race, their class, their gender, their socioeconomic background, their religion, and their culture. And because women have these different identities to them, along with mother, sister, friend, colleague, comrade, um, activist, feminist, we believe that women experience discrimination based on all of the roles that she takes and in an intersectional manner. Um, we further work with women who work in precarious positions and conditions, such as farm workers, domestic workers, care work, and sex workers. While we recognize that these are categories of work um, that where women fall very vulnerable because of the space, the geographic location, and the type of protection and um, our law affords them. Um, so those are just a few of the categories of the women who we work with. In relation to the submission we made, we did specifically focus on the inclusion of domestic workers that are now included as an employee and are able to then access um, the socioeconomic rights and protections in terms of the COIDA amendment bill, which we welcome. But we thought to make the submission not only focus on that and how the amendments really need to maybe look at further um, having specific, having highlighted specific gaps in relation to the way that it affects domestic workers, but we also illustrated some of the precarious conditions in which the amendment bill can affect other groups and class of workers, such as farm workers, care work, and sex work as well. Um, we welcome the bill in its stated purpose uh, being to extend the coverage for occupational injuries and diseases to previously excluded vulnerable workers, as well as the improvement of compensation benefits to employees, and how it seeks to empower the National Economic Development and Labor Council to nominate persons from whom members of the board may be appointed by the minister um, to represent the in interest of organized businesses. Um, in relation to this overview, I just further want to highlight a last point in relation to intersectionality and the way that the Women's Legal Center works. And that is to say that we also um, have made these submissions in the light that we hope that the amendment bill um, and its provisions provide substantive equality to women. And why that is so important to us is because we are aware that um, 
there are many laws in place which often are far removed from poor, marginalized, and vulnerable groups and class of persons, in particular women who come from different disadvantaged backgrounds, a particular class, race, and socioeconomic background. And substantive equality to us, it means that the law becomes real, it's tangible, and that the provisions which the COIDA Amendment Bill seeks to put in place substantively realizes the rights to women, which means that it's substantively uh, substantive equality recognizes that discriminatory acts do not occur in isolation, but re reinforces the notion that discrimination affects particular groups in multiple ways, and that it is a pattern of a part of patterns of behavior towards groups such as Black women. And it's important for us to highlight at the beginning of this oral submission, and as we have highlighted in our written submission, the importance of intersectionality and substantive equality, because that is the thread in which we we wish to make our recommendations before this portfolio committee in relation to the COIDA Amendment Bill. And so that as an overview and an introduction, I'm going to hand over to my colleague who is going to take you through the sub, some of the substantive um, submissions and issues we have raised, specifically in relation to domestic workers, the application of how these provisions will change in substantively in real life for domestic workers, gaps we might have identified, and also in relation to dependency and the way the amendment bill seeks to include further sense of dependency and some 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 maybe gaps and, and highlights we wish to, to bring before you this, this afternoon. So I'm going to hand over to her. Hi everyone, um, good afternoon. My name is Tukang Komo and I am a candidate attorney at the Women's Legal Center. I'll just be taking you through the historical um, discrimination against women in the workplace as well as our comments, specific comments relating to the amendments in the bill. So as my colleague has mentioned that in order for laws and policies to operate from an intersectional lens, the department needs to adequately implement legislation for the protection of workers in the workplace. There needs to be an appreciation that not all workers are the same. So many of our professions still carry the weight and stigma of our discriminatory past and are very present in the lived realities of women in the workplace. In addition, many professions remain gendered and those which are considered to be women's work often involve work that is undervalued underappreciated and underpaid. It is therefore important to understand the historical context of which the bill will find practical application. An example of a sector that is largely gendered in nature is domestic labor, which my colleague had previously mentioned, whether conducted as a domestic work outside of an, an individual's home or un, un, unpaid work, care work conducted inside the home, domestic work remains highly femin a feminized sector where 80% of all domestic workers are women who lack access to any kind of social security. Domestic work can be described as the backbone of our society and economy. It is a type of employment that is deeply rooted within an apartheid and patriarchal context. Domestic work and the way in which it is treated and viewed in society has compounded the poverty of women of color who remain vulnerable in the informal workplace. Therefore, circumstances leave them vulnerable to denial of their labor rights and occupational protection. The South African context of women that work in precarious conditions, such as domestic workers, 
seasonal farm workers, community health care workers, and those employed in the sex industry must be considered, especially in the implementation of the proposed amendments. These are women who have historically suffered discrimination because of the work that they do and the conditions under which the work is done. They have historically struggled to access social security benefits and are often overlooked completely when such measures are put in place. Therefore, meaningful access to rights and realization is critical for the achievement of substantive equality. Hence, it would be a key consideration to the members of the portfolio committee, but also for the committee to put to the department. Now, secondly, I'll be going through our specific um, amend uh, the specific provisions of the bill that we'd like to address to the committee. Um, firstly, we welcome clause one of the bill, which seeks to amend section one of the act by specifically extending social protection and occupational compensation to domestic workers. Domestic workers are a class of people that were previously excluded from social security and protection because of section one, subsection 19.5, subsection D5 of COIDA and specifically excluded, which specifically excluded domestic workers whose work is in private homes from the definition of employees. We, however, wish to note that the mere inclusion of domestic workers as a means to solve the unfair problem of the exclusion of domestic employees without substantive consideration of practical steps that needs to be implemented for domestic workers to access these social protections will not be enough. In Mashangu, the Constitutional Court ordered that the inclusion of domestic workers would have retrospective effect, which dated back to the 27th of April, 1997. However, this current amendment bill and its inclusion of domestic workers is silent on the issue of retrospectivity. This highlights a big gap in the considerations of the am amendments and is misleading on the part of meaningful participation, as women who are not aware of the judgment would not know they are able to claim for compensation for injuries which have occurred prior to these amendments. We therefore encourage the committee to address the Department of Labor and Employment on what practical steps they have put in place to ensure that domestic workers are now aware of, of the constitutional court judgment and its implications along with the effect of these amendments. As we maintain for these amendments to be meaningful in its implementation, to provide true substantive equality, it must be communicated to the women affected by the bill. The bill also seeks to amend the definition of dependent of an employee to include life partners of an employee and to limit the age of children who can claim dependent benefits to 25 years of age if they are attending tertiary education. We support the amendment to, ex to the extent that the definition of dependent includes life partners. South Africa as a society has continued to change more, has continued to change with more people identifying themselves as living in domestic partnerships. Although not married, these couples adopt a lifestyle like that of a marriage, accepting a reciprocal duty to maintain and care for one another. There can and should be no lawful reason such a domestic partner, such domestic partners should not be entitled to the same or similar recognition and benefits as the spouses. 
However, we are concerned that this amendment does not go far enough to provide substantive equality and protection to the beneficiaries of women who are the sole breadwinners and financial providers for their families. Historically, the income derived from professions such as domestic work and care within communities have stopped many families from falling into abject poverty. And many women who who approach the Women's Legal Center often have various levels of financial dependence on their income. They are often the head of households where children who may be older than 18 years old are still fully dependent on them financially. In too many instances, a dependent does not seize dependency once they come of age and once they go and study at a tertiary institution. Hence, the cycles of poverty in family compositions are often compounded because of several factors, including the elevated levels of unemployment and lack of gainful employment opportunities in the country, right? So South Africa's um, system of financial dependency in families of color, as we all know, is uniquely placed and linked to our historical discrimination and dispossession under apartheid, which means that South African families of color do not operate in a nuclear sense where there's a mother and a father and two kids. Dependents will might also include grandchildren, nieces and nephews, as well as cousins. The Matlangu case illustrated what dependency looks like in many of our families where a major daughter and her minor child were completely financially dependent on their mother who conducted domestic work. People of color who come from poor and marginalized backgrounds often do not have the financial means or opportunity to attend tertiary education. There is a range of reasons for this, which include having to care for siblings and family members while their parents work to provide an income for the family. The fact that they do not attend tertiary education, however, does not mean that they are not completely and financially dependent on their parent in need of the same social protection relief. Hence, it is our submission that social security benefits are a right and not a privilege. There can be no justification for the age limit set by the department in respect of when someone is worthy to be financially dependent on a parent. In fact, this goes against the state's obligation, both in terms of Section 27 of the Constitution, which is the supreme law of South Africa, and our international obligations in terms of Section 39 of the Constitution and the International Convent of Economic, Social and Cultural Rights, the ICES. CR to which South Africa is a party to. So section 27 of the Bill of Rights in our constitution provides for the right to health, health care, food and water. Section 27 subsection 1c states that everyone has a right to access appropriate social security, including if they are unable to support themselves and their dependents. It further notes that the state must take reasonable legislative and other measures within its available resources to achieve the progressive realization of these rights. Section 39 further notes that any court tribunal or forum must consider international law when interpreting the rights in the Bill of Rights. And Article 9 of the ICESCR states that the state's parties to the present covenant recognize the right to social security, including social insurance. And the general comment 19, which was adopted on the 23rd of November 2007, deals with the international obligations on states in terms of Article 9. 
The General Comment 19 importantly sets out the elements of the right to social security as a system that is available. The social security system should also cover social risk and contingencies, which include family and child support in realizing the rights of children and adult dependents, that the benefits provided be adequate and accessible, and that beneficiaries of social security schemes must be able to participate in the administration of the social security system. Surely with dependency, much like in any other relationship, the question is whether there was a duty to maintain or whether such a duty existed because of the nature of relationship between the parties. Each application must be considered and weighed based on the facts of the dependent submitting this cl the claim. This approach will ensure that the state meets its obligation to provide social security benefits to those most in need and that social security is treated as a basic human right rather than a privilege. The center therefore does not support attaching a qualification in terms of age or education to when an individual can claim to be a dependent under the legislation, we therefore submit that this requirement is not in line with the constitution or its international obligations. We also support the amendments which have broadened the definition of occupational disease in section one, subsection 30 of COIDA, which include post-traumatic stress disorder as an occupational disease as it recognizes the mental and psychosocial well-being of workers. The workplace can and is often a volatile and hostile space for many women of color. They are far too often subjected to sexual harassment and other forms of violence. For example, in 2020, Tlanganisa and Iswe released a report detailing the harrowing accounts of sexual harassment and other forms of violence experienced by domestic workers in South Africa. There is a critical need to include the harmful effects of violence against women in the workplace, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and to provide women with the necessary benefits to heal themselves. The International Labour Organization 2019 adopted the convention C-190, which expressly speaks to hostile and often violent um, work environments. Specific references, specific recommendations on how workplaces can and should be safer by employers and sets out the responsibility of the state in this regard. So we welcome the department's efforts to eradicate patriarchal notions of male superiority in the world of work by deleting references to him throughout the bill. This is, this is a symbolic gesture and it goes a long way in ensuring that the workplace becomes a substantively more gender equal environment. It is an important amendment as it will ensure that the language of the act and that it and that the protection that accompanies it is no longer heteronormative in assuming that only men deserve recognition and social protection. We further support the, sub the amendment of section 22 subsection five of the act to reflect um, the protection of employees who are injured while being transported by or on behalf of an employer to or from their workplace for the purposes of their employment. It also provides that any mode of transportation furtherance of the business of the employer shall be deemed to take place during such employees employment. Um, the center operates from the Western Cape, as my colleague had mentioned, and the surrounding rural areas in Cape Town have little to no public transport system. 
farm workers and their families are often wholly reliant on their employers to transport them to and from farms, towns, schools, or other business hubs without a functioning transport system. The seasonal farm workers are left completely at the mercy of their employers for transport. They are often required to sit on the back of an open flatbed truck. For example, on the 6th of January um, 2021, which is this year, there was an, a fatal accident involving 38 farm workers traveling on an open truck outside of Worcester in the Western Cape. The media reports that one farm worker died and 12 were injured. This amendment goes a long way in addressing the vulnerability of workers who rely on the employers for transportation. Although much needs to be done to address transportation access to workers in rural and peri-urban areas, the issue of transportation is especially critical as it speaks directly to accessing rights set out in the legislation and brings us back to questions around the implementation of the bill and how the department seeks to effectively and efficiently implement um, the amendments. I will be handing over back to my colleague, Chrissy, who will be taking you through some of our recommendations that we've come up with. Thank you. Um, I'm going to just go straight over into the recommendations. As my colleague has outlined the intersectional manner that we work in and the way that we viewed these COIDA amendment, um, the COIDA amendment bill and its provisions, and specifically highlighting how it affects precarious and vulnerable workers, specifically um, in relation to their lived reality, we had thought of putting a few of our recommendations before the portfolio committee to ensure that not only are we transformed in the way that we develop um, and implement our law, but that it actually affects the lived reality for workers who work in precarious positions. Um, and we wanted to start with our first recommendation um, in that we wanted to highlight that the issue of dependency, as we have outlined in, in our submissions, dependency within a South African context and within an African context has a very specific context in which we find ourselves um, in, in relation to persons of color who come from a disadvantaged background and who come from um, underprivileged socioeconomic circumstances. And so we would recommend and we would ask the Portfolio Committee to call on the Department of Labor to ask um, them and to explain to the committee the rationale behind restricting the right to social security protection in relation to dependents who are um, older than 25 and needing to attend tertiary education um, to be able to claim because as as we are aware, this once again will discriminate against and exclude a particular class and group of persons um, who cannot um, access and who cannot afford or have access to further tertiary education and therefore will be excluded as a dependent. Um, the case of Mishlangu was a, an, a case example to us that the, in that in that case, a set of dependency didn't conform to what the COIDA amendment bill is trying to prescribe in terms of dependency. And so we would like to ask the department to explain to the portfolio committee the rationale behind restricting the right in terms of dependency, because we have, as we further have outlined in our submissions in terms of international law, and which needs to filter down into our um, domestic obligations and laws, dependent specifically is also referred to as adult dependence within our international obligations and rights. And so why is it restricted in our sense within our domestic law? 
We further wish to highlight the importance of meaningful and informed public participation in relation to how laws affect women's lived reality. They have to be informed by women on the ground. Um, and this is important not only for participation, but for language and the way that it will highlight the lived reality of women. So we want to highlight and recommend the importance of social dialogue and public participation, which includes the voices of, of marginalized women who work within vulnerable and precarious positions, but specifically in relation to the climate in which we find ourselves within COVID-19 that has proved to further restrict access um, and create barriers for women in relation to accessing their rights and accessing justice. Um, so we encourage the department and the portfolio committee to ensure that the voices of these most impacted by the legislation is heard and included in this process. We also recognize the need for effective policy action, which is inclusive and transformed and will result in legislation, which is not only in line with international labor standards, but also meet the needs of women on the ground who are directly affected by this law reform. We further want to, rec to recommend that to ensure meaningful social dialogue and participation, we recommend that the Portfolio Committee consider the capacity of the Department of Labor in bringing these amendments to life. We say this specifically in relation to one example we can make is that the case of Mashlangu that was brought in the Constitutional Court provided for the protection to domestic workers with retrospective effect. The COIDA Amendment Bill nowhere provides for that retrospective effect or does it explain the manner or criteria or procedures or practical steps that women would have to come forward and claim, even though the occupational injury uh, occurred before last year or, or when these amendments would come into place? So those practical steps are important because we might then see an influx of people who do come and are able to claim in terms of this bill, and we realize that capacity will definitely be an issue in relation to the claims that could come forward. And so we want to put as a practical consideration before this committee and the department that capacity is something that is seriously considered in relation to giving effect to the COIDA amendment bill. Um, we strongly suggest that the department ensures that they have sufficient capacity to effectively address the claims, um, not only from domestic workers that will be brought to them, but also that the department has been under severe pressure with the role, for example, of the TERS provisions, which we have seen in light of COVID. And we are concerned that with the passing of this legislation, the COIDA Amendment Bill, and without a clear implementation plan, workers and women will once again struggle to access their rights because of the capacity problems and the influx in relation they are. We further recommend that the department adopt a proactive approach in creating awareness around these amendments and the constitutional court judgment, specifically in relation to retrospectivity, which these amendments do not speak to. And a way for us that we could recommend to do this as one example is just to ensure that these amendments, the retrospectivity, the court case, that it be advertised broadly, being cognizant of uh, women's access to media, social media within an urban and a rural context. So once again, taking into consideration the lived reality of women and the different means of access women have when they are based either within an urban context or within a rural context. But that more importantly, these advertisements be not only on social media, not only in hard paper, but also 
would include different languages, as we are aware that women within South Africa who live within an urban or a rural context, context um, speak different languages and are able to read, write, or understand different languages, and that the passing of this bill, the advocacy around it, be cognizant of that. We would also recommend that the department be encouraged to travel to rural areas and areas on the urban periphery where women are often far removed from access to basic services and would struggle to reach a department of labor to report an injury or to report an employer. So we want to ensure that the department creates safe spaces for women to be able to come forward and report injuries that they may not have access to do because they are far removed from the physical offices of where the Department of Labor is situated. Um, most of the women who seek our assistance work in domestic settings in private homes. They report the difficulty and complexity they find themselves in relation to lodging um, any complaints against the employer due to the fear of further victimization. Their work is conducted in close and intimate spaces and intimidation and work and the fear of losing their work should they lodge a complaint is a very real risk for women who conduct domestic work. This is an additional consideration um, that we wish to place before the Portfolio Committee and the Department of Labor should, um, should definitely consider in implementing these amendments. So the realization of once again, these amendments are being implemented, but how are they accessible, being able to really affect the lived reality for domestic workers who work in private homes because saying that they are now included is not enough. Um, we need to do, we need to go further. We need to consider practical implementations and steps that can be taken to further protect the margin, the marginalized and vulnerable women in these conditions. Um, so, yeah, as stated above, these are a few of the recommendations that we had wished to bring before, before the Portfolio Committee, um, and we thank you once again for the opportunity to, we have had to be able to make these submissions before you today. I can see two hands raised. Um, the first hand I saw was Michael. Sorry, I'm the chair of the session. Please, please. Identifying people that are to speak, it's my responsibility. I humbly request. I humbly request that. Honorable members, we have got, uh, that is the, that is the uh, presentation. I, I see there are two hands. Uh, whilst we're still waiting for others, I will then uh, 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 allow Honorable Cardo and Honorable Dana to, to, to ask questions of clarity. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Chair. I think the inclusion of domestic workers in the Act is welcome and long overdue, but we must face the reality that it's going to open up a whole new category of claimants when the Fund struggles to process and pay claims as things stand. You've presented a series of recommendations to promote social justice for vulnerable workers and social security for dependence of vulnerable workers. And that's all very well and good. But my question is, have you costed any of this? How realistic is it? Some of the most basic socioeconomic rights in our constitution aren't being actualized because of state incapacity. And frankly, the Compensation Fund struggles to perform some of its core legislative mandates. Is it realistic to expect them to be able to do all the other things you would like them to do 
and that you've put forward here today. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Kaido. Honorable Dana? Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Um, and thank you for the presentation. Um, I think one of my questions have partially been covered by Honorable Cardo. So um, I just have two other questions. The first one is, were you able to and did you access the socio-economic impact assessment that is supposed to be accompanying this amendment bill? Um, and could you use it to base some of your findings in your pre uh, presentation on? Um, and then secondly, Chair, uh, the previous presenter mentioned benefits for victims of sexual harassment and the effect of GBV on domestic workers, especially, and I think um, for all women in the workplace. Um, how do you envisage this being practically implemented in the workplace? And I think I'll um, follow up if there is a second round of questions with my other questions. Thank you, Chair. Do you, do you want to want another do you want to ask another question? No, Chair, I will I will I will listen to the answers and then if there is anything that is unclear, I will ask in the second round of questions is there if there is one. Thank you, Chair. Oh, okay. Uh, Honorable Mkonto. Uh, thanks, Chair. Uh, we welcome the presentation. Um, from uh, Ms. Brown and uh, Ms. Mkomo, representing the Women's Legal Center. Chair, they referred to uh, Ms. Mahlangu's case, a well-known case in South Africa. Uh, uh, but Chair, what I want uh, clarity uh, from them is that um, do they think there will be enough records if uh, this bill has to be retrospective? Do they think that there will be enough evidence of such cases um, as back as 1997 um, for the, 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 the affected people to be able um, to be catered for. Thanks, Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable Members. Uh, there are the questions. Uh, how you respond to them, who responds first, and whatever will depend on you. I'll hand over to you. You are muted. Chrissy, you are muted. Can you hear me? We can't hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you I hear can me now? Hear yeah. Um, in relation to the first question around domestic workers um, having opened, being open to claims now, um, this being in light of a social justice context, but looking at state incapacity and funding and how realistic this is, I don't think that it would necessarily be our place to speak about if this is realistic in, in light of the absence of a proper investigation in relation to what funding is actually made available. Um, we were present in the case of Mishlangu, where so this also leads to um, the, issue, the, the question of retrospectivity that was brought up, where the courts were very specific, um, and the COIDA, the COIDA in itself um, pr 
makes provision to secure alternative funds in relation to making the provisions real within the COIDA bill. Um, and so it's not specifically about what funds would be available within this department, but looking at how we are able to source additional funding, not only to make the provisions real within COIDA, but to realize that COIDA um, and the rights in which COIDA and its amendment seeks to enforce are constitutional rights afforded to everyone by virtue um, of their basic human rights. And our constitution uses the word progressive in that we need to seek to ensure, our government needs to seek to ensure these rights on, on a progressive manner, which means that we look at securing funding in relation to this to make this a reality and not from the outset to assume that it's, it's not realistic to do so because of state funding and incapacity. And so that is why we were very specific around our recommendations, asking the department to kind of illustrate what would be practical steps in one, realizing capacity as we realize that there would be an influx and whether that, that looks at employing, deploying, um, staff within, like we said, urban rural areas to make access um, as a first port of call available. Um, that will take funding and, and capacity as well, we realize. But we think that it's important for the department to come and say what funding they have available, what capacity they have available, but then to seek like COIDA makes provision for alternative methods of securing funding um, in relation to the provisions allowed for it within the Act itself. In relation to the socioeconomic assessment, um, we did not have access to it at the time of making these oral submissions today, and that was in relation to the, the second question. Um, and then in relation to the third question, in relation to retrospectivity, this is an issue that will that will come up in many cases, but we don't believe necessarily that, will, that it would hinder women's ability to resolve a claim because any occupational injury that may have occurred in the workplace um, should have um, the necessary documentation in relation to doctor's appointments if they were able to access so. But once again, this is where we need to be specific about the class and group of persons that we are trying to provide access and protection to. Because if I am working as a domestic worker in a private home and I have suffered an occupation within my employer's home, oftentimes it is that very employer who sees to those injuries and might refer me to a specific doctor who reports to the employer and I may not have access to those things. And so once again, this is where our laws need to be cognizant in the manner in which it, implement, it is implemented for people in their lived reality, because it is not as easy as being able to say for the normal person who has access and resources to be able to say in terms of my occupation, I'm able to claim because I'm able to meet A, B, C in terms of evidence. I have a doctor's certificate that's needed. I have um, a witness that's, that's needed. I have somebody that can corroborate what happened because in, on a farm, in a private home where workers' rights are vulnerable and compounded with different vulnerabilities, I may not have a witness that is able to come and testify that this happened to me because they too fear losing their job. And so is it fair to weigh up that evidentiary burden around someone whose socioeconomic circumstances are so different? Two, not, we should not be able to hold persons to the fact that they were never able to access this right and therefore may not have enough evidence as prescribed now, which is why it's another recommendation for us that legislation be inclusive and transformed in the way that it seeks to affect rights to women, um, that it realizes 
why we keep saying throughout the submission, the lived reality, because through realizing the lived reality, you will realize that not everyone is the same and able to acquire the same evidence or meet the same burdens and standards. And so that's um, how we wish to put that recommendation forward, but that the department be able to say um, what that, because even within um, with, with, within now, we, we are unclear as to what the actual capacity is. If there is state capacity, what does that look like? How are they able to call on stakeholders, partners, other, other governmental organizations, and work within an intergovernmental approach to ensure that these, these provisions are implemented in a real and, and accessible manner? No, thank you. I, I don't know whether you're... you're, you're... Your colleague also wants to, to respond. But you have not, uh, in terms of the years, the 25 years, you have not put, uh, you have not say what are you proposing, which years should be, should be, should be looked into. Remember you said uh, 25 years, you are not, uh, you are not accepting the 25 years proposal that is put here in terms of the of the of the years that are to be considered what are you then proposing but secondly you have mentioned something that is very i just want to get clarity do you think is it it should be the responsibility of the act just want to put a a a a, a household is a private sphere and I, I think you are correct by saying that and that is a private uh, sphere. Domestic workers and farm workers in particular are in a very vulnerable uh, a, a space. That is then uh, a, a, a challenge of the, um, of, of, of the owner of the house and, 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 and the worker. Now, should it really be the, the, the responsibility of the, of the only of the of the department. Hmm? What then becomes the responsibility of the other role players outside that in empowering the the the, 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 the domestic workers? And then do do you do you do you think that uh, all these recommendations that you are putting here was in, in me, those are operational things and, 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 and in terms of the capacity and whatever. But uh, correct me if I think that's why the question that are you, are you, do you think that this recommendation should be inserted in the act or it is then a responsibility of all of us, including committees of parliament, including institutions of your nature to ensure that some of those things that you are uh, putting here are, 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 are being practiced. I, I just want to, because for me, majority of your recommendations are more operational uh, 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 recommendations, resources, the capacity of the state, and whatever. Just want to, to 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 just check with you if my thinking is 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 correct in what you are then raising. That's why the clarity. 
that can can really clarify to me if you think that all those recommendations that you are putting are to be in, in, in inserted into into the bill. Madam Chair, I think um, to answer your question, I'll start from the back, going from what you said last, going to what you began with. To start by saying that we are definitely not saying that these are recommendations that must be inserted into the bill. In fact, the Women's Legal Center, the entire purpose and objective of our submissions was to bring a gender and feminist lens before this portfolio committee. So it's not so as to prescribe to this committee or the Department of Labor what the practical steps are that should be either one inserted into the bill or undertaken by the department. That is by no means our intention. And when we made examples within our recommendations, they were merely examples to illustrate based on outreach and advocacy that we have conducted in how we think some of the ways are that the department is able to reach women on the ground. Our most important recommendation being that anything the department inserts within the bill and any um, measure that's put in place be informed by women. So I think our utmost um, recommendation is to ensure inclusive and transformed implementation of policy and that that can only be done when it is informed by women on the ground. And I make it as a simple example. If I do not conduct domestic work, how can I say what is best for a domestic worker? If I have not consulted with a domestic worker, given her an opportunity to participate within um, these processes and given her an opportunity to highlight to um, to the stakeholders, to the department, what would work for her. And secondly, if I am a domestic worker within an urban context, I, my lived reality and experience is very different to a domestic worker who works within a rural context. And so our main aim is to bring before this portfolio committee that any amendments legislation that is implemented needs to be done so by specifically having a feminist lens, by being aware that it needs to have an intersectional approach and in that manner be prescribed and informed by the voices and the women on the ground. So we by no means wish to say that these recommendations that we have put before the portfolio committee must be inserted into the bill. They were merely examples that we have put before the committee to also raise with the department in relation to implementation, in relation to meaningful and effective participation, such as something simple as having it in different languages, ensuring that any advertisement advocacy or social media work done around it being done in different languages as one of the ways of ensuring that we reach women not only within an urban context, within a peri-urban context, but women who are far removed from geographical locations, um, offices of the Department of Labor. So in that aspect, it's not that we are prescribing that these must be inserted into the bill, but merely giving recommendations and that those recommendations be cognizant of having a specific gendered lens to ensure the substantive equality for women. Um, and then I, I, I think that we completely agree with you in relation to roles and responsibilities. However, we need to start the starting point of any constitutional human right and social justice access falls within the responsibility in relation to access. We, and it's why my colleague painted out for us the historical context in which we come from within South Africa. Because while we live in a dem democratic society, and while we have moved very far in terms of political context in relation to the progression within a democratic society within South Africa, 
The lived reality for women is that women remain the face of poverty and discrimination within South Africa. They remain the face of vulnerability within South Africa and within our current context. In terms of socioeconomic access, women who live in informal settlements, um, on the Cape Flats, in underprivileged areas, and who work in precarious conditions remain the face of, of restriction to access of rights and justice. And so that's why our submission focuses on providing access to these persons. And that is a positive realization and a progressive right that must be realized in relation to access by our government in relation to it being a member state to international conventions and treaties, which not only prescribe these rights, the right to favorable and just working conditions, but we have then signed in within our constitution and our constitutional ambit and obligations to enforce these rights, especially these labor protections within a domestic setting. And it is in within that context that we make the submission and these recommendations before the committee this afternoon and in the manner that we have made it in our written submissions. Not to start off with already assuming that there will be an influx and so there will be capacity constraints. Um, and so it might be unrealistic in relation to funding and capacity. But to start from a progressive and a constitutional context of realizing that these are rights that need to be afforded to everyone in terms of access and that given our historical context, that is why progressive is so important because we need to realize that women continue to be discriminated against. And so how do we progressively realize their rights in terms of this amendment bill? And in, even in relation to retrospectivity, unfortunately, the Constitutional Court has pronounced on retrospectivity. It is there. It is just not highlighted in the act, in this amendment act. So whether, whether women have enough evidence, whether they are aware of it, actually doesn't matter because it is prescribed now that this inclusion for domestic workers in terms of their claims have retrospective effect. And so once again, it is about how we ensure meaningfully that those women are now aware that their right has been progressively realized after so many years and have access to it. We are So that's, I hope that I've answered your question in that regard. No, I think we 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 you have you have uh, we are in a constitutional democracy. It is important that everybody is aware, even if it has gone that far. Everybody, even those that are affected. I mean, I'm sure the challenge is how then do we reach out? But I just want to make you to feel at ease. One. All our adverts in terms of this process were circulated to all provinces and more on the languages that are spoken in those provinces. So the issue of language, we have taken that into account. So, but secondly, you will, you will know better that we are operating, we wouldn't be talking with you in this way if we have never been as the, as the country and as the world being subjected to the challenges of the regulations of the pandemic, would have loved to speak to a number of women in areas, but unfortunately we can't. And we don't want to be seen as lawmakers, want to do things outside what is prescribed by the regulation and unfortunately we are controlled and we are 
were controlled and were managed by the rules of parliament. But apart from that, there are people who then ensure that the do's and don'ts so that we are not being seen as, as because if, if we say we'll go to an open space, we will attract million, thousands of people and that wouldn't be a, so organizations of your of your nature will assist parliament. I'm, I'm of the view will assist government in, in ensuring that every woman is being reached, but you understand fully, and I'm happy that you have understood well, you understand it very well, that my house is my private space. And who is within my house depends. But it is important that we empower every woman, young and old, to understand that they've got rights. And their responsibility, therefore, is to ensure that they go out and seek assistance. And this, and this amendment, among other things, and this, these hearings are hearings that... Uh, are, are to be, are to be, and we are to ensure that each and every member of parliament in our constituency, we 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 ensure that at least domestic workers now are aware that there is an outcome of court and there is an amendment which is then going to assist them in their workplaces. And yeah, thank you very much. We will, uh, we will, at, at you, you are invited if you want to come in, even the whole of this week, we'll be listening to organizations which will be uh, uh, inputting either they are, they are, they are, they are, if they are against or uh, 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 for the amendment. So the whole week, you will just uh, check with the secretariat of the of the committee, uh, the link because each day has got its different link. I'm of the understanding, uh, honourable members, that this is our last presentation for the day, and uh, we are then meeting again tomorrow, same time, and uh, yeah. Until we meet again tomorrow, thank you very much, honourable members. I don't think there is any announcement except that the announcement that I'm making that the Secretariat will then circulate to us uh, the link for the tomorrow meeting. So everybody who is interested will then have to check on that link. And please, Secretariat, uh, circulate that on time so that uh, I'm not called by people to say, you people are not giving them the link, uh, which I don't think that is the situation. It's only that people are expecting to get the link by the end of the day, but we'll try all our, all our best to ensure that happens. Having said that, uh, thank you very much, Chrissy and Ms. Gomo. Quite interesting to listen to you. And uh, yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, what, what I find it very, very strange is that 
you are complaining about language, but you're also making your, your presentation on in, in English, which is a universal. You see, you see the, 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 the challenge, but it's something that we're working on, we'll work on as we move forward. Thank you very much. Until we meet again tomorrow, nine o'clock. Keep yourself Bye. well. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, members.